Well, hey, everyone. Uh, Welcome to this new episode of The Ask. Uh, So glad that you could join us. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about what the Bible has to say about depression and suicide. And actually, what you'll be hearing is a recording of a community healing night uh, that Frazier Frazier Church did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, It'll begin with uh, Kim Hendricks interviewing a family couple, uh, the Fairkers, both of them. Uh, have experienced suicide in their families. And so you'll kind of hear their story and their testimony. And then after that, you'll hear from myself and Brandy McNew uh, as we kind of unpack um, different ways that you can help people who are struggling with depression and suicide. So again, this is a an issue that affects a lot of people, a lot of families. And our hope and prayer is that God might use this time to encourage you and strengthen you in your journey of faith. God bless. Thank you all for coming here this evening. Our goal of these two community nights of healing is to talk, open up discussion, and help you know you're not alone and that there is always hope and there's help. And we want to encourage you to reach out for that help. Okay, and I'm so thankful to have some special guests with us here tonight, Dan and Alice Farriker. And um, we have something in common. Um, We do know the devastation of losing a loved one to suicide, Um, you with your teenage daughter and me with my mom. Um, During this talk, we're going to have up on the screens the suicide hotline and also a crisis text line that we introduced to you last Wednesday. Write these down. They're on the red cards on your table as well. Take them with you and um, call them anytime. Text anytime. You simply write hello and someone will be in touch with you, a a professional counselor, okay? But I want to begin with your story. Um, We are coming up on three years in April when you lost your 15-year-old Mackenzie on the verge of turning 16. Beautiful young lady, uh, compassionate, known for sharing her faith. And as hard as it is, think back to that day uh, when you lost her. And even the weeks and months after, did you ever think you would have the strength to sit here today and share about this loss? No, we never imagined that we would ever, ever be able to sit and talk about it in front of anybody. It was devastating, and we were concentrating on just getting through each day. Um, it, was, it was really hard. Yeah. It was bad. Tell me about Mackenzie. How, how would you describe your daughter? Well, I'm sure any parent out here would uh, just gush about their kids as as I would. Uh, Compassionate, loving, intelligent. Um, She had big dreams. Uh, She was fiercely protective of her brothers, uh, older brother and younger brother. Athletic. She was a cheerleader. Um, She had big plans for her life. Uh, She wanted to go to UCLA. She wanted to be a a psychiatrist and study in uh, or specialized in eating disorders. Um, she was a dreamer. She really was. She was an idealist. Uh, some would call her a social justice warrior. Um, she was really special. Yeah. Uh, like, like every one of us uh, can say that about our kids. Um, but that's many, it in a nutshell. She many of this church knew her, loved her. Yes. My daughter knew her, loved her. And um, it's hard to put words, I know, to the emotions of, Anytime you lose a child and someone you love, but when you lose them to suicide, um, 
Can you put to words um, how you felt that day and how it changed you? And did it shake your faith? Shock was the biggest thing. Um, it totally caught us out of left field. Nothing that we ever imagined was going to happen in our family. And at the time, I was at a very, I would say, a spiritual high in my walk with Christ. I felt very close to him. I was constantly praying circles around her. And it really rocked my face. Um, I won't say that I was angry at God, but I was very disappointed. I felt like I had been let down. And it took me a long time to get past that. I couldn't pray for, I would say, two years for myself or for anything for me. I could pray for other people, and I believed it for other people, but I didn't believe it for myself anymore. Mm -hmm. I, just, I felt almost betrayed, Yeah, and that was hard. Dan, what about you? I, I think betrayal is a, a good word. Um, rejected, certainly, um, by Mackenzie uh, for making that choice. Uh, I guess to a point rejected by God as well, because as Alice said, we had put so much faith in him. Um, <clears throat> immediately, I turned to the word. Alice and I kind of handled it differently when it initially happened. Yeah. And that's when you're talking about grief and loss like that, we are individuals. We handle it in different ways. <clears throat> but I right away went to the book of Job, um, knowing what mm -hmm. Job went through. And I read that several times. Uh, but there is a verse in there, 1612, that just really sums up how I felt. Um, and it goes something like this. All was well with me, but then he shattered me. Uh, he seized me by the throat and crushed me. And that's how we felt. Crushed, lost, uh, really no, at that point, immediately after, no hope, no thinking of the future. It was just take the next breath. Literally every 15 seconds, that um, crushing loss would flood over us. It was no relief, no sleep for the first several weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was tough. We went from living breath to breath, minute to minute, hour to hour. Uh, and it was hard. Yeah. Now, thank God, uh, by his grace, we're not there anymore. Where are you today? Um, it's almost three years in April. Um, where would you say you are today then, Dan? Uh, well, people have asked me, how are you doing? What, how are you handling this? And um, I can say a lot of things, but uh, waiting patiently, sometimes not so patiently on the Lord. Uh, I can say we're confident because of that hope, that the faith we have. Uh, we're confident we're going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Uh, that sums it up. Um, so we are much farther along. As I like to say, we're, it's not easy by any means because this is has been devastating. It has changed us forever. We'll never be the same. Our, our family was whole. It will never be whole again. But uh, it's not easy, but it's getting easier. And it's the hope we have. There, there is always hope. We look forward to that. I, again, turning to, to the word, you know, our, our suffering, there's no comparison to the glory that's going to be revealed in Christ when we see that. And we know we're, we're not going to get the answers that we so sought those yeah. first weeks and months until we go to heaven. And his plan, good and perfect plan, is going to be revealed right now, we know. There's no bother in trying to find answers because it doesn't make sense. Um, I'm not where I was before Mackenzie died, but I am well on my way. I feel much better now. And I knew that in that, those days after she died that I had a choice either to continue to follow Christ, even though I didn't understand any of it, 
with that hope that I would see her again or I would have died, I think, myself. So I just continued to keep going to church, keep doing Bible studies, and I couldn't, I couldn't sing praise music for a while. I mean, it was, but I continued to go just faithful and going and showing up because I knew that eventually it would all come back. I knew that Christ was walking with me the whole time. I knew that he had to be holding me up because there was no way I could stand up myself. But I, I feel like I'm back on the right track mm-hmm. again, and I'm able to pray for myself again. But it took some time, and it took some trust that I would get there. I admire you. You kept going. You know, Hold on to what you know, not what you feel. If you couldn't feel the presence of God at that time, but you knew you've been in the Word. I knew um, the truth that, mm-hmm. that He was the only way, and I just held on to that even though I didn't feel it. Yeah. At the time, my feelings did not make me feel that way. You know, and even for people here, too, who you may not know the Lord. We know we have visitors as well. I want to encourage you, take the step that you know you can take to get help. Can you see a counselor? Can you go to a doctor? Can you listen to a friend? Take that step that's right in front of you. We're right off of Martin Luther King Day and one of his quotes, faith is taking the step when you can't see the whole staircase. I may not be saying it just right, but don't hold back. Reach out. That's what we want to encourage you. I so admire that you kept going, too. And Go ahead, al- along those lines, Mackenzie died on a Friday. And that, mm-hmm. that Sunday, we were at church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was difficult. Yeah. It was difficult. But we knew we had to keep up with that hope and that faith. Mm-hmm. And standing there, um, as everyone around us sang praise, uh, it was difficult, yeah. but we knew we had to make that choice. Otherwise, what what else is there? Yeah. Um, and we knew he'd he'd be faithful one way or the other. He was going to be faithful. I'm sure we have people here tonight who perhaps you have a loved one that you're here for, um, that you're concerned for, that you're losing sleep over. So I know you were asked a thousand times, and you probably still are, when you lose someone to suicide, were there any signs did you see something that told you this was coming? Well, I'll, I'll be transparent here. Mm-hmm. Um, Alice and I kind of view this differently. Uh, we're different. We, we're looking back. Um, I say I see the signs now. But your question is, did we see the signs at that yeah. point? No, um, we did not. Uh, I've posted some things on social media that said, now that I've had time to reflect back and look, I can see the signs. I can piece together the puzzle, uh, a terrible puzzle, um, that had we knew what to look for, I, I said that wrong, had we knew, known that it was as dire as a situation as it was, um, we would have, it would have been more apparent. It's difficult to say. Um, but yes, looking back now, we could see how Mackenzie's demeanor changed. She was a vibrant, active, uh, full of energy, happy-go-lucky, optimistic cheerleader. And in those months before, uh, she changed. She lost interest in that. Cheerleading became a chore. Uh, she started to isolate herself. Uh, she'd be in her room, um, lights out. Uh, she wouldn't have interest in being with the family, mm-hmm. hanging out. Um, so those were just some of the signs. Her appetite changed. Uh, one of the signs they, they say of uh, someone who has reached that point of deciding on suicide is that they, they get rid of their possessions. Um, we're not a materialistic family. We didn't have a lot of possessions, but Mackenzie had things that were dear to her. As I mentioned, she was creative, artistic. 
we found out, she used to journal, write stories after the fact, and it took us weeks to go into her room. Um, but we sought some meaning, some reason, looking for a letter, some insight, and we found out she had basically purged her existence, um, her journals, her art, everything. She had, it wasn't there. So she had gotten rid of that. And it pains me to know that I had uh, taken that trash to the curb and uh, her, what represented her and her, her ability was uh, in, in that trash. Um, so in that sense, she was giving herself away. Um, so there, there are a lot of other little clues that could be an indication. Uh, but Alice, Alice sees it differently, the difference between clues of uh, suicide and hints of depression. Yeah, what I saw and all of the things that he's mentioned are all signs of depression. But not all depression leads to suicide. So that's where I have a hard time seeing signs that she was suicidal. And in my opinion, the only sign that you can really tell somebody's suicidal is once they try. Mm-hmm. Because all of those are just things that are part of depression. But like I said, that doesn't always lead to suicide. 90% of the time it does not. So it's hard to say, in my opinion. Even looking back, the things that he mentions, I'm like, those were all just part of depression, in my opinion. And teenage girls can be moody. Yes. uh, Can go through a whole lot. Um, uh, Mackenzie was in counseling. Yes. And she was getting some help with, you probably thought, anxiety. You never Mm -hmm. knew the depth, obviously. Yes. Um, She was in counseling. And honestly, I thought that she was coming out of it. That week, Mm -hmm. we'd had a really good week. On Wednesday, we had spent the, the day... Um, running errands and stuff. I had taken her out of school for an appointment and having lunch, and we had talked about the summer and what we were, her plans for the summer. She'd actually made a list that day. And so it really caught me off guard because I really, I remember coming home and telling Dan, I think we're on our way out of this. Yeah. You know, so. Something else, Dan, that you mentioned that gave you false hope, uh, an Instagram post by McKenzie, and we want to show that. And if you're able to read this to us, um, Please sure. do, and let's talk about that. Sure. It's, uh, it's great to see that picture. It's, it's awesome memories. Um, this photo was taken during a family trip to Lake Tahoe uh, in the Chris- Christmas of 2015, uh, just three and a half months before she passed away. Um, she had never been skiing before, but uh, she was a natural at it. She was athletic, like I said, and took to it. Um, we talked about future trips coming. Um, but you can probably read along with me what it said. Uh, what it says, and I think this post is soon before she died, 11 days before she died. But at the time, we read it, and I was so proud of her for reaching this point of of clarity, of self-assuredness, of of realization that her value was not uh, defined by other people. Um, It was not defined by how many likes or who approved of what she was doing or saying or how she was living. But here's what she wrote. I've realized today that I have to stop posting things based on what I think others will like. It's not worth valuing yourself based on how many likes you get. It is also exhausting to only show the very best aspects of your life. Everyone knows that everyone struggles with different things. Why try and pretend that your life is perfect? I struggle with many things that, of course, I never show on social media because I want people to look at my account to believe I have a perfectly amazing life. But that's just not true. 
I'm going to start posting things that make me happy, whether it be constant pictures of sunsets or a million pictures of puppies. I'm going to use my account to document the little things, the people, or moments that happen to be important to me. This just happened to be one of the most amazing moments I've experienced. <clears throat> Being on top of a mountain is breathtaking, literally. Don't take the little moments for granted. And as you see the date, March 28th, 2016, that was 11 days before she died. Certainly not indicating a young lady who was thinking of, of ending it all. And Alice, that description, I'm going to post things that makes people happy, that's, that's Mackenzie. That's who you described. She was, she was always happy and always very worried about everybody around her being happy. So. Yes, she was uh, a peacemaker. Um, I, I said she used to pour her life into her friends. Um, she was so worried if there was any strife, stress, strife between friends. And I, empathetic, I think she was overly empathetic. And, and that, that was a heavy weight on her. Mm -hmm. um, That's why we encourage people to talk. Because you see these photos, All-American Family. You see the posts on social media that say, I'm okay. Um, so many times we push down this pain because we think we can't tell anybody. Tell someone and get some help. Because um, we're able to sit here and talk to you about it today. We wish we didn't have a reason to talk to you, though, for sure. Uh, the reason I have a common bond, I lost my mom to suicide. And uh, I was 21. She was 43. I was about to graduate from college, and she had struggled with depression for 10 years. That's a picture of all of us drinking Dr. Pepper. It's a Dr. Pepper commercial. When you're from Texas, you drink Dr. Pepper like water, okay? But um, that's my mom right in the middle in the, the burgundy outfit, and that was her countenance all the time, uh, joyful, um, happy, even through a 10-year struggle with depression. Uh, so it was an intense shock when it happened to everyone else. We knew she had been going through the battle, um, but I did not know she was going to do that either. She said one comment one time, if not for my children, I would take every pill in this house. And that gave us false security. I said, well, she has us, so it won't happen. Um, but it overwhelmed her. And that was at a time, that was in the late 70s, early 80s. So the stigma was even worse. Uh, she was often told, shake it off. You should just be happy. And I'm not faulting my dad. He said those words. And I remember being in the car and that song, Don't Worry, Be Happy, was popular. And it would play. And he would say, see, just be happy. And as a child, I remember thinking, I don't think it's that easy. I didn't know, um, but I wish we had known. Uh, I wish there had been better medication. Uh, we've talked about this last Wednesday, and Brandy will speak to it more, our professional counselor who's here tonight. Uh, medication can very much be a part of the overall treatment. It's not the one quick fix, but it can certainly be an important part. Counseling, spiritually, medication. She, she convinced her doctors to let her come off of everything because she didn't like the side effects. So they did, and three months later she took every pill that uh, she could find, I guess. Um, so yes, devastating, and 
We want to talk more. You had mentioned, Alice, you wish Mackenzie had come to you and said, I'm hurting, Mom. You probably wish she would have flat out said, I'm thinking about doing this. Yes, I had actually asked her point blank if she'd ever thought about taking her life. And, of course, she said, no, Mom. You know, she looked at me like I was crazy. But um, she she never mentioned a word. And I think I get angry with her about that particular thing because I think she didn't even give us a chance to help her. She didn't even didn't even say anything. And had she said something, we would have done whatever it took to help her. And I truly believe things could have gotten better with proper counseling, medication, whatever it takes. I, I think that there's always a chance that's going to get better, but she didn't give it that chance. And Alice, you're living a healthy life yes. with depression, fighting yes. depression. For how long? I've been dealing with depression since I was about eighth grade. So what's that, 13? Mm-hmm. Off and on. Um, I've lived a good, healthy life. I've had bad times and good times, but I've always managed to come through it. Didn't have to kill myself, though. Right. I, I was able to. I, I won't say that that thought never entered my mind. It did, but I never acted on it. So, but, I, but I kept trying to get help. And as I got older, I learned the signs and the symptoms for myself, and I was able to be proactive in taking care of it. Yeah. And now today, uh, God redeems. He redeems. That's a, it's a dark place to fall to. Um, there's not a quick fix. Your joy does return. I've told people when I've had an opportunity to talk to them when they've lost a loved one to suicide, your joy returns because you think it won't. You think it's shattered, it's gone. Um, uh, but it's a difficult place to be, but God redeems this pain. Tell me how he's doing this in your life and how you are reaching out now and trying to tell people you don't have to make a decision like this because it's devastating. Uh, well, you, you mentioned joy returning, and mm-hmm. Alice is wonderful about always reminding us uh, to choose joy, and it is a choice. Um, our our Joy should not be defined by our circumstances. Uh, that joy we have should come from our hope, uh, that faith in Christ. Uh, the future we have, that eternity we get to uh, rely on, we know is coming. Um, that's what, what is bringing joy. Uh, what Immediately we started looking. Of course, the Word tells us that all things are going to work for the good for those who believe, and we do. Uh, but at that moment, early on, it was hard to imagine any good coming from this. Uh, but now we're, we're starting to see some good. We're, we're reaching out. We are connecting. As Alice said, we're, we're on a mission now to educate people, to change minds, to help remove the stigma uh, of mental illness, depression, of suicide. Um, we're trying to get into schools. Alice particularly has been a great advocate of talking to schools and finding out what programs are there. Uh, she has reached out. Of course, there are organizations around town um, that help support people that have lost or are dealing with, with difficult situations with, with mental illness. Um, so it's just, I've heard it said, our pain, and there's a lot of pain to this, as you know, mm-hmm. your, your pain becomes your platform, and we, we've started that. I've heard it's also said your, your pain is your passport because it's going to take you to places you otherwise never would have gone had you not gone through that. And it really, we could say we're guilty of that. Um, uh, before Mackenzie passed away, we'd hear of loss in the, in the community, of people losing kids or going through tragedy. And I'm sure many of you feel the same way. Oh, that's, that's terrible. But within a day or two, the world is still spinning, life goes on, you don't think about it. 
but we are so much more empathetic. Uh, so we're doing work with, with small groups as well. We're reaching out, connecting. Um, we put the word out. If somebody goes through a loss, you know, reach out. Alice is doing a wonderful job of just monitoring. And there's so many terrible stories of uh, young kids hurting themselves, um, 10, 11, 12 years old. Uh, so she's doing a great job of reaching out, writing cards, letters to these parents, um, just expressing a hand, saying, reach out if you want to talk. So yes, we are finding purpose, and that is redeeming. It, it, we're trying to help others, but it is so therapeutic and helpful to us as well. Alice, you've posted on Facebook real encouraging posts or reaching out to young people. You know, if you didn't make the grade, if you didn't make the team, if you feel like you stumbled big time, call me, talk to me. I love that. You're also, you're speaking to different groups and you're about to fly off and be trained to do this even more. Tell yes, us about I'm going to get some, tra- some proper training, I guess you would say. <laughs> but um, yes, I have pretty much opened up myself to all of McKenzie's friends. Um, and kept in touch with all of them and just anybody. And I'm amazed at the kids that have reached out that I don't know. Um, But I'm trying to be there the best I can. I know that when this happened, I can remember saying to myself, you know, God, I know you have a plan, but I don't have to like this plan right now. And um, I just kind of let it sit for a long time. And and in the last year, my prayer has really been, okay, God, if this is what we've got, show me what I'm supposed to do with it. And I'm not patient about it, (laughs) unfortunately. But I do feel God calling me to do something. I haven't figured out exactly what that is, and now I'm trying to figure that out. But I, I have felt God speak to me and tell me to help. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out where exactly to go with that. Well, I think he's already working through you just in even doing things like this, or reaching out to young people and, and talking about it. Because getting back to losing my mom, I didn't do that. And uh, it's really unhealthy. I took it and I pushed it down and I thought I'll go on with my life. And I was not at a real strong place in my faith at 21. Uh, so I pushed it down and... I continued on and thought, I won't bother people with this. Everybody has a hurt in their life. This is just mine. But as I went through life for a good 19 years of really pushing it down, it was my inside voice. It defined me. If somebody said, Kim, tell me about yourself. I heard I lost my mom to suicide and it's killing me. It didn't come out loud, but that's what I heard. And, um, I advise you don't do that. And just like you said, you you had a little anger, perhaps. I was mad at God. I felt he had taken my mom too early. My older sister, I think, got a little bit upset with our dad, thinking he could have done more. My younger brother, uh, seven years younger than me, uh, I think felt abandoned by our mom. So three of us had sort of three different reactions, and now we are all stronger in our faith. Um, finally talked about it through a Bible study here and walking intensely with a dear friend here, a prayer warrior, through a Bible study and breaking down what I had allowed to become a huge stronghold in my life, this wall of pain. Uh, I still spoke about God. I didn't even make the connection. When I, when I had my child, when I had Annie 18 years ago, I thought, I need to get some help with this so I can share about my mom without just breaking down into tears. Oh, and I think I'll go to a Bible study. I didn't connect the two. They're both very connected. And that's where I heard God saying, you know, he didn't do that to me. I felt he did it to me. And he told me, your mom lived a beautiful life, and now it's your turn. What will you do? 
You know, who will you reach out and love? Who will you reach out and help? And I'll be with you every step of the way. So don't push it down. Don't let it be your defining voice because that is not who you are. And I want to take a moment and talk to the person in here who thinks I'm on the verge of taking my life. Um, it's not an option. And if you're looking at us and you're thinking, well, they're okay, um, your joy can return, but we are never the same, are we, Dan? Tell us, we were talking about this earlier. Now, I mentioned already the, uh, those emotions, those feelings of being crushed. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's true. We have not uh, healed from that. We are healing, and it's going to be a lifelong journey. As I said, we'll never be complete again. Our, our families forever changed. Our lives are forever changed. Um, but we know we have to keep striving on. We still have a young son in the house. We have another son as well, uh, 23 years old. There's so much more life to live. Um, yet we have to come out in the world, in society. And this is very uncomfortable, this topic. Depression, mental illness, mm -hmm. suicide in particular. People don't want to talk about it. We have, I won't say lifelong friends, but friends that we have relationship going back a couple of decades that uh, I'm sorry to say now avoid us when they see us in the community because this is so difficult because of what we went through. So we have good days, good, really good days, and we have bad days still. Uh, so I say we, we put on a mask like, yeah. like many of you do. You have good days and bad days, but you've got to go out, you've got to interact, you've got to live, and uh, you don't want to be viewed as uh, somebody who can't live in society. People have told us that. Well, you're doing so great. I'm so proud of you. And, and we smile and say yes. But really, if they really knew the truth, again, um, it's tough. So uh, just as you said, it's not an option. Please, please don't even consider that. The ripple effect, it's lifelong. It never goes away. It never goes away. As I said early with Mackenzie, um, her pain has ended. But that pain is now passed on from one person to certainly her family to dozens of friends, and they'll tell you the same thing. So please don't, don't consider that. Don't consider that. I know that a lot of people who are suicidal think that by taking their life, they're helping their family, that they're a burden to their family or whatever. But what you leave behind is so much worse. And it's not just Dan and I. It's our son who was eight when his sister died. And our son that's now 23, it's still affecting them. It will affect them forever. When they have children, they're going to go back on this. Our son just got engaged, and it played a big part in his engagement. We live everything, every decision we make, everything we do is through this filter of losing Mackenzie. Everything is filtered through that, and it has changed how we do everything. And it has devastated our lives, so it's not the answer, not by any chance. There is hope. There's, there's hope out there. There is something that can help you feel better. But your family will not be better off. It, they will be 100 times worse. If I could add one more thing. Um, I mentioned about Mackenzie getting rid of everything, but she did leave, leave a note. Um, she actually left several. Uh, again, she was always caring about her friends, and she left behind nine notes. She spent her last hours writing, um, and they were all letters of encouragement to her friends that just poured out her heart, saying, you got this. I'll always have these good memories, and you can do anything you want. It was all encouraging. Um, but then she had one letter that kind of summarized 
if you will. It didn't give direct reasons, but it, it kind of gave insight to her rationale in that she had let everyone down, that she was a burden, that she had made so many mistakes that people were angry with her. And that was so far from reality. We were just shocked when we read that, said, no, that was not reality. And that's it, emotion and, and what you're feeling, that depression is, I hate to discount and say it's not reality, but. That's what depression does, though. It lies to you. Yes. It lies to your brain and makes you think things that are not true, that are so far from the truth. And that's what it did to her. It lied to her. Yeah, don't, don't mistake a feeling in the moment as being truth. Keep a big picture perspective. Uh, you are of great value, and uh, we want you to know that. And I went to a mental health conference a few years back, and Patrick Kennedy came to town. He suffers with several mental illnesses. You would never know it. He's the keynote speaker talking to us, and he said, with mental illness, we wait till stage four to react. If we find out a friend has cancer, and we hear stage one, we rally around them and we bring them dinner and we make sure they get to the doctor. If we find out they have heart disease, we're going to get you to a doctor. But we're afraid of depression and we're afraid of mental illness and we've got to stop that. It's a real disease. There's help out there. There's hope out there. And we want to talk about that now. How do you talk to someone who you know has spiraled to a dangerous place? And also, let's talk a little bit more about the misconceptions and the myths that surround suicide and depression. So we're going to bring Brandy McNew, our counselor, and Brandon Dassinger, our teaching pastor, up. But please join me in thanking the Farrakers for being with us tonight, okay? Well, I thank y'all so much, uh, Kim and the Farrakers, for sharing your story. Uh, I know that wasn't easy, but we appreciate uh, your willingness to do that and to share that with us. Um, I, I just hope, you know, our goal with both of these nights is, is really just as a community, as a church, is just to really normalize this. And uh, the church has not always been good about that. We've sometimes stigmatized mental illness. We've kind of even said things that if you really had faith, if you were really a strong Christian, then you wouldn't struggle with these things. And, and if that's ever happened to you, you know, I'm sorry, uh, because that is not true, and it's not even scriptural. Um, as you read the narratives of the Bible, uh, one of the things you see over and over again is you see the full range of human emotion. And you see heroes of the faith struggling badly. Uh, just kind of thinking about tonight, I was thinking about people like Jeremiah. He was a prophet for God, a man of God, a preacher. And he literally gets to a point in his life where he says, Cursed be the day that I was born, and cursed be the people who helped make me be born. Like literally cursing everybody. Uh, Jonah, at one point, another prophet of God, uh, declares, God, just let me die. Uh, you read about King David, a man after God's own heart, this worshiper, this king, this mighty warrior. He had moments, we actually call them uh, Psalms of Laments. These songs where he would cry out and say, God, why have you forsaken me? Why am I walking around in the dark? Uh, my eyes are dry from crying so much. And so again, over and over again, you see in the scriptures that even heroes of the faith had moments and seasons of depression and darkness. Uh, there's even a book of the Bible called Lamentations, which literally means sorrow. 
And so what I want us to see tonight is, is, again, is that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. It doesn't mean you don't love God. And so one of the things that we want to express over and over and over and over again is that you're not alone and you're not a bad person if you struggle with things. Um, Brandy, just kind of share with us a moment about that. In your years of counseling, have, have you seen that with people just... Uh, how maybe shame or guilt or um, embarrassment or any of these sorts of things or being a burden, uh, how that kind of can compound this, the, the problem of depression or how, uh, what does that do to people and, and why do people feel that way sometimes? Um, yes, the, the uh, let's see here. Got it. Okay. Um, yes, to, to answer that, is shame a piece of depression? Uh, most often, it, it definitely is. Um, there's this guilt that's associated with, with depression, feeling like you are a burden or you shouldn't feel this way, especially from the Christian perspective. If I was a better Christian, if I prayed harder, um, if I were good at this, then maybe I wouldn't be struggling. So this is really my fault, is the thinking. Again, going back to what was mentioned earlier is, is, is sometimes when you're in those moments of depression, the way that you're looking at things is a bit off, a bit skewed. And so you might think that you're a burden or that it's your fault that you're experiencing this. So with that comes the feeling of shame. And then the next step of that is to isolate. Because if any of us are embarrassed or ashamed of something, we typically retreat. It's, it's what we do. And, and that's unfortunately one of the worst things that can happen when you are struggling with depression is to isolate yourself because not only are you trapped by those thoughts that may not be 100% accurate, but you're struggling with it alone and there's nothing being poured into you to say, hey, have you considered this? And so you get caught in this bubble, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's so important for people to hear is that uh, once shame kind of sets in or you feel like you're being a burden, that, that idea that it pushes you to isolation, and then you get stuck in your own head. And I don't know if you've ever done this, I've done this, but you just start spiraling your thoughts out of control. My dad would call it stinking thinking, is that you, you just start taking everything to the nth degree and you just thinking everyone doesn't like you or this will never work out or I'll never overcome this. And you're taking everything to the extreme. And, and sometimes I've even met with people in my office and they'll start describing things. And, and you can tell even as they say it out loud, they're starting to realize that this doesn't make sense. And so it's really, really key is that one of the things that depression will do quickly is, is attempt to isolate you. And then things just spiral worse and worse when that starts to happen. And that's why it's so important, again, not your faith in terms of going to God, but also your community, your friends, a counselor, uh, that you have someone that you can speak to. And sometimes just speaking things out loud uh, allows you to break through to uh, a more concrete reality. Now, uh, shifting gears a little bit, kind of going back to some of the things the Farrakhur said about signs. Um, Maybe mention, just unpack that a little bit more. Uh, what are some signs, if, if, if you could see it in someone else or even see it in, in your own life, what are some signs that someone is falling into depression and, and kind of differentiate between um, having a bad week, having a bad day, and actually kind of falling into clinical depression into something that's really um, going to be hard to get out of? What are some signs for that? 
Well, as, as all of us know, we have um, times in our life where we experience sadness, whether it's um, situation that we're going through or um, just really any number of things. But where you start to see somewhat of a distinction between the emotion of sadness and then to the clinical diagnosis of major depressive disorder or something in that um, realm is that there's a persistence. So um, clinically, we would say if you've experienced some of the symptoms for two weeks without much change, so that would be feeling sad. That's the number one is that your mood is is sad. Um, maybe you're very fatigued. You have a hard time focusing. Um, you're either doing things, you're doing either of these to the extreme. So you're sleeping all the time or you're not sleeping at all. You're eating all the time or you're not eating at all. When you start seeing those types of extremes accompanied with the sadness, the the poor focus, and then uh, most often uh, being very critical of yourself. Um, and there's not much compassion towards yourself or really you don't give yourself any leeway. So those are some things where if you see that consistently um, for a long period of time, we're going beyond just, hey, I'm having a down day or a, a few days that are that are down. And, you know, I think it's important to understand that sometimes, even if you're a little confused, like, so maybe there's some of you out here going, I don't know if, if this is just me being sad and I'll get out of this funk or if it's something else. That is where a professional can talk to you and say, okay, let's, let's discuss this together and see if we can understand it better. So that's the other thing that in isolation, you may either diagnose yourself or you may not catch a diagnosis. So that getting out of that dark place and by yourself and having someone help you, you can understand what's going on a little bit better because they've had the experience and, and the training to do that. Yeah, I think that's really good. So if that if resonates with you, you know, just a prolonged time of sadness, uh, fatigue, not being able to sleep or um, sleeping way too much. Um, if, if anything, if, if that's happening in your life, again, we would say they're on the side of being safe. And make sure you see someone, make sure you talk to someone and allow them to help you uh, talk through those things and to see if you've kind of fallen into depression and then see how you can kind of, um, the things you can do to maybe climb back out of it. And the key is, is that again, the quicker you get help, the quicker you seek out help, uh, the more likely you are to not get farther down the road and fall into other troubling situations that can come with depression. And I would add to that, Brandon, um, is that if you've ever had any har uh, thoughts of harming yourself, so whether it's committing suicide or um, any act of harm towards your body or towards yourself, you know, th those are things that we don't want to wait, you know, well, it hasn't been two weeks yet. If you feel any desire to do those types of things, then, then please, you know, reach out right away. Um, and, and also know that, um, whether I think part of what we're all here for tonight is to change that narrative about suicide and about depression. Um, and that as many as seven in 10 people have had the thought of, it may not be, it may be easier not to be here today. Now there's differing degrees of that, but if you have that thought, even if you're, you think, well, I'm not really going to act on it again, get, connected to somebody as you figure that out. Don't think, hmm, well, everybody or seven in 10 people, Brandy just said, has this thought. I'll figure out if this is really something that, that is important or not later. Get connected, find somebody to talk to so that you can figure it out together. And maybe speak to also like if, if you see someone who 
who seems like they're falling into depression and you're identifying those things, uh, what are some ways that we can help them? Or what are some ways that we can uh, come alongside of them? Because typically, again, they're going to want to isolate. And so it can be a very difficult thing to try to help someone who's kind of fallen into depression. So what advice would you give if you say, hey, you see a family member or friend that seems to be falling into it? Uh, it would echo a little bit of what we talked about last week um, for some of you who may have been here. And, and the first step is simply to listen. Um, I know that even as a counselor, when I hear people say, you know, I think that I might want to act on some some self-harm thoughts, I would even want to jump in and be like, wait, wait, wait. But I have to remind myself just as much that I need to hear first. I need to understand and listen before I speak or before I make a suggestion or anything. And so even for you guys, if there's somebody who's struggling with depression or suicide, first of all, just listen. Um, offer that ear and that compassion and say, wow, that's that's a lot that you must be feeling right now. Tell me a little bit more so that I can understand what is weighing you down. Um, not why are you so unhappy, just I want to be able to to support you and offer compassion. And so first of all, listen. Um, the next step would be to remind yourself of this. And so it's, it's not so much, it's, there's a lot of self-talk where you're, you're thinking things through to help this person, but you've got to remember that also you can be there to support and help, but you can't take it from them. That person has to be willing to take those steps, especially with adults. Sometimes it's a little bit different with our teenagers and young children. Um, sometimes we don't give them as much liberty when it comes to that, but, um, know that you can't force anybody to take those steps. But one thing you can do is, so if, if somebody were to come to me as a friend, not in a clinical setting, and say, Brandy, you know, I'm really overwhelmed. I'm feeling pretty down. I'm even thinking about not being here anymore. Um, my first thing to them would be, after I've listened, is to say, what can I do today? Not this month, not this year, not this however long, but what could I do today to lighten your burden just a little bit. Can't radically change their situation. You can't pluck them out of the world and say, here's an easier situation to be in, but is there something I can do today to help with that burden? Because I believe as Christians, that's part of our role, is how do we make those burdens of life just a little bit lighter? Yeah, I think that's a good word. I, I, I think it's that balance of being available and, and being present and being compassionate while at the same time realizing you're not their savior and, uh, you know, you can't force anyone to do certain things. And so sometimes uh, that balance is, is very, very helpful. And so if you're trying to help someone who's dealing with depression, it, it can be a, a very fatiguing thing for you. And so you've got to make sure that you're being aware of that, being in tune with that, uh, making sure that you're taking time to be prayed up and, and so that you're really able to be there for them in a meaningful way, while at the same time... Um, not putting a pressure on yourself that is not realistic anymore. And so I think that's, that's kind of key as we think about these things. You know, one thing that I would tell youth when I was a youth pastor and things like that is just, 
you know, whether it's me or someone else, do you have someone that you can call when you get to these low places and make sure you call them? If you're having a really low day, make sure you call someone, make sure you talk to someone. Do you have those people in your life and, and make sure that you do that and make sure you reach out and, and those sorts of things because you're not going to be with them 24 seven. And so it was just a constant reminder to make sure, Hey, don't, don't try to go through it alone. Make sure you have people that you can call and that you can talk to and that you're not a burden to us and uh, we are here for you. And um, so I think that's really, really careful. Would you add anything else, else to like maybe speak to the caregivers, people who are trying to help folks, uh, maybe in their family, um, any sort of boundaries or ways that they can self-care for themselves in the midst of that? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, let me, let me answer, let me back up just a tiny bit from what you were saying before about, you know, when you do approach somebody, I think that one of, of, of the, the most helpful things that, that you can do is, like you said, remember that you may not be able to save them from the situation, but that you can offer hope. And sometimes it's just hope in that moment, that day-to-day approach that can be so refreshing. So if you see somebody, maybe maybe you don't know that they're struggling with depression, but something in your heart or something in your observation, you see that that person maybe is just, there's a little bit of light gone or, or, or they seem down or withdrawn. You know, our culture is kind of like, don't ask, you know, like they'll, they'll get it together and then things will be back to normal. I don't want to pry. But th- if this is somebody that you know, and you see that change, then go up to them and say, hey, I just want to make sure you're doing okay. You seem a little down. Is there anything I can do um, for you today? So don't be afraid to engage if you notice a change in somebody. Um, so that's the first thing. But you asked about boundaries and what can we do. Uh, I think we have to know our limits. I really do. Uh, so if there's somebody that, that you have poured into and poured into and you are starting to get to the point where um, – you recognize you're not being helpful, being able to say, I love you and I want to get you to that person that can be helpful for you. Um, and if it's, I hate to use the word sacrifice. I think that's why I say know your limits is, is to care for somebody when they're going through something like that is, is sacrificial in the way you love them and give for them. But you have to have a boundary and people don't like that idea, especially even in, in the Christian um, framework is that boundaries sound cold and like there's walls, but boundaries are a very loving thing when done appropriately. So if you get to that point where it's draining you beyond being helpful, you've got to, to be able to kindly say, I, I think that I've done as much as I can in this moment. I would love to continue to to pray for you and support you, but let's look at what our other resources are. And so whether that's counseling, whether that's medication or physician or psychiatrist, um, being able to recognize when it's going beyond what you're able to help them with. I think that's the key is recognizing your own abilities and gifts. And so Oftentimes, if people come see me, I, the, one of the first things I will tell them is I'm not a professional counselor, and so I will help you in the ways that I can, but I will always recommend them to go to a professional counselor uh, to where they can have an expertise where they can diagnose or even subscribe medicine. Uh, those are things that I'm not an expert in, and most of you are not an expert in unless you're a counselor. And so sometimes as you help people along, yes, you need to be there for them, but you need to also own uh, where your limitations are, where your abilities are limited, and to 
suggest to people, hey, I'm here for you. I'm always going to be your friend. Uh, but you need someone who has abilities and expertise that are beyond me. And that's okay to say that because that's actually the best thing for that person. Uh, let me just finish on this note. Um, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Psalm 43. And, it, and it's a psalm where David, again, is going through these emotions. And he's talking about these dark moments. And at the end of it, he says, Oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forsaken me? Why must I wander in the darkness, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts pierce me like a fatal wound. They scoff, where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why so sad? Yet I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. I read that because David is acknowledging where he is that he's okay not being okay. And I want you to hear that, that you can take all of your emotion and you can take it to God. And then yet he has this word at the end, this word of hope to say, yet, yet I'm going to keep praising him. I'm going to keep putting my hope in him. And that's the balance that we want you to feel tonight is that you can take all your emotions and you can take them directly to God. He's a big God. He can handle them. And yet what we also want you to understand is that God wants to give you hope. He wants to give you healing. You may never fully overcome depression in a way where it never affects you ever again in life. But I do believe that God can take you to a place where your depression no longer defines your life, no longer defines your reality, never uh, doesn't have to hold you back from living the life that God's called you to live. I believe that. And I'm so thankful in my life that when I've gone through hard moments, when there have been moments where I've been tired and struggling, moments where I've been criticized, moments where I'm fatigued, uh, I'm so thankful that I have a Savior that I can go to, that I have a Savior that I can run to, that I have a Savior who understands. And so, again, tonight, we want you to understand you're not alone. It's okay to not be okay. And yet there is hope in the midst of the darkness. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we're going to do a, a short healing service. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this night, Lord, and I thank you for the testimonies we've heard. Lord, I thank you for, Lord, how you are bringing purpose into their pain. And uh, Lord, I just pray for everyone in this room, all those who are listening online. Lord, I just pray that they might experience your grace, your peace in a powerful way. Lord, I pray for anyone who's struggling with depression or thoughts of suicide. Lord, I pray that you would remind them tonight how much they are loved by you and that you are always with them, always for them, Lord, that you are close to the brokenhearted. Lord, thank you for being a God who draws near to us. We love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's hear for Brandy one more time for being a part of these nights. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of The Ask. And again, we hope that it was um, something that could uh, help you in your own journey. And uh, again, just want to remind you with any sort of mental illness, you know, our hope and prayer over these past couple of weeks is to uh, a, normalize it to help you understand that you're not alone and it's okay not to be okay. And at the same time, give you hope uh, and that uh, the gospel is good news that uh, these things don't have to dictate your life or the rest of your life, uh, that God can redeem it uh, for your good and for his purposes. So again, uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. God bless.